0: Popular culture can be a funny thing. Something can bubble under the radar for a long time, and then all of a sudden, it just goes supernova. Whether we're talking about a band or a book or a show or a movie or game, suddenly it's everywhere. And we're going to talk about one of those explosive new influences in popular culture today. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, this week I was looking at some reports on what people are looking at on our website, which is always super interesting to me. Some of the big summer movies were right near the top, of course, like Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World Dominion and the controversial Pixar movie Lightyear, which we talked about in episode 135 if you missed it. But in the top 10 were three titles I didn't recognize, all with the word summer in them. The Summer I Turned Pretty, It's Not Summer Without You, And we'll always have summer. And I don't don't know about you, but that feels like a lot of summer. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I needed a crash course. Turns out all three of these are books by author Jenny Han, originally published between 2009 and 2011, and which plugged in reviewed in early 2020. So more than a decade after they were first published, Jenny Han's novels are having a moment. The Summer I Turn Pretty is a huge hit on Amazon Prime TV, and Han's other YA trilogy, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which frankly as a parent doesn't sound like anything I ever want to hear any of my daughters say, it continues to garner attention in print and in its three Netflix adaptations. So today we're going to talk about the content issues you'll want to know about as a parent as well as the bigger picture worldview that might be exerting even a deeper influence for fans of these books, shows, and movies. And in our second segment, we're going to deal with something else that's really hot right now. It's called Where the Crawdads Sing, and it's one of the most popular books in America, and there's a movie out as well. And before we dive in, I would encourage you to follow The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts. Take a minute to leave a review for others, who might be wondering what the show is all about. Well, joining us for our first conversation today are Kristen Smith and Marcella Evans. Hey, how are you guys doing today?
1: Good. Really good.
0: I think we're going to have a great conversation today about Jenny Han stuff. Before we do that, I want to know what was your favorite book and or author when you were growing up?
1: I feel like I have a lot of them. But I will I'll choose only to choose two. just
0: two. I, yeah, I can't just do one. I wouldn't sorry. expect less of you.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, so Island of the Blue Dolphins. I reread that a million times as a kid. Loved it. Wanted to be her. In Is it sense. about dolphins? Well, she's, and I, I can't get into it. It's very exciting. But anyway, that and then um, Wuthering Heights.
0: Those were my two. Wow, that's pretty different.
1: And they're very different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was younger, obviously, when I read you Island like of the Blue Dolphins. Wuther- I was I about to-, to say, same age. Yeah, yeah.
0: You liked Wuthering Heights as a child?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know.
0: Tween, teen? 12,
1: 13, 14, something like that. It was pretty, crazy. Still pretty young pretty for that heavy. Look. Very, but I really liked it. So. I
0: mean, I'm like, uh, could this be darker? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> All right, I'll stop critiquing your yeah, choices now. Sorry. Thank you. Marcella, what about you?
2: Well, of course, it's an interesting question. Depending on the age, the answer would be very different. But the first thing that comes to mind is the Nancy Drew Mystery Series Uh, was a big formative literary influence for me.
0: I love that. Those were good. So I was thinking about this, and it's funny. I can remember book covers, but some of the ones from when I was really young, I don't even remember the titles. But one of the books that I remember – just having it totally capture my imagination. The teacher read it out loud in like, I don't know, second, third, maybe fourth grade and it was called Snow Dog and it was about a dog, wait for it, in the snow, right? (laughs) And I think the author's name is Jim Kjellgard. It's KJ. I always called him Jim Kjellgard, but I'm reasonably certain that's that's not not (laughs) the actual pronunciation. I think it's Jim Kjellgard and it's about this dog that gets separated from his owner and like Alaska. I mean, it's basically like White Fang Light, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. Call of the Wild Light. It's not quite Jack London territory, but pretty much a direct rip off of that. But it, it's about this dog that has to survive in the wilderness. And I just remember it was so gripping for me yeah. when I was, you know, but a wee lad. Um, okay. So, yeah, snow dog.
2: Believe it or not, I read that one too, and it's a series, and I read Desert Dog as well. Uh. Really?
0: There's more? There's more. Oh, wait, there's more. (laughs) I'm going straight to Barnes & Noble as soon as we're done here. So obviously when we're young, um, and as we get into our teen years, and I think you're right to point out that books have a different kind of influence on us depending on that stage of our development, but but books can really capture our imagination, and you know, even in our screen-based culture, books are still a huge thing. But you know, people who make movies and TV are always keeping their finger on the pulse of what's happening. It's like what's hot, yeah. What are the kids into? Let's make that into a, a movie or a TV show. Um, and so, with each generation, we have new voices that are writing about. And I think really helping to define what that generation's values are, what we believe, how we're supposed to act and live. Um, As youth culture, Walt Mueller says, entertainment is both a mirror and a map. It's a mirror because it reflects what's already happening in culture, but it's a map because for young people, it shows them at least one picture of maybe how things are supposed to be. And so I think it's really important for us to be paying attention to the books and shows uh, by Jenny Han, which we're going to talk about shortly, because she's exercising incredible influence in the lives of so many young people today, and especially young girls. So, Marcella, you just reviewed the new TV show, The Summer I Turned Pretty, and for those scoring at home, I never actually had that summer. I just want to say... Still waiting for a summer to turn pretty. Um, <laughs> and if my kids were here, they would be rolling their eyes at my utterly failed dad joke. So on with our discussion. So in a broad sense, what is going on with the summer I turn pretty?
2: Well, there's the intersection of two families who have been getting together every summer, hence the title, summer, um, where they get together, the moms are best friends and Belly, the main character, has interacted Belly? with... That's her nickname. Her name is Isabella, <laughs> but they always call her ah, Belly. okay,
0: just clarifying. Yep,
2: yep. Um, and she interacts with these boys, and as they're getting older, their dynamic is changing. And, of course, you have the classic love triangle going on. There's multiple brothers, and...
0: There's a vampire, there's a werewolf,
3: there's a... Oh, not wait, quite. that's different. Not quite, yeah, wrong okay. franchise. <laughs> wrong franchise. Um,
2: <laughs> but there is a major love triangle aspect... There's a definitely a sense of coming of age and formative identity kind of situation. And both families, of course, are having a lot of family drama that is contributing as well.
0: Oh, yes. We always have to have the family drama. So content wise, what if someone hasn't seen the show, what can parents expect to find? Like if if you were a parent and you had a child who were who was interested in the show, what would you be worried about?
2: Well, I'd say this show has Outer Banks' level of bad choices with no consequences. Ooh. Um, Jeez. There's a lot of summer <laughs> That's fun. That's saying a lot. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of summer fun going on, um, kind of a focus on having a good time and embracing who you've always wanted to be. Um, yeah, there's some concerns with drugs, alcohol, uh, romantic relationships that are going too far, but there are some interesting themes that...
0: We'll talk about the interesting themes because obviously we want people to know about what the content issues are, but we also want to help you understand what the draw is here because these things don't get popular accidentally. There must be something that that is resonating with kids. So maybe what are some of the positive themes or and what are some of the reasons you think that these are so popular?
2: Yeah. You see enduring, really strong relationships between the two moms of the families and mm. their children who have... The moms have been friends for since college, their college years. Um, So you see they've really weathered a lot of hard times together. Um, The kids all really are loyal to each other in the sense that they want to protect each other. And um, a lot of the relationships are refreshingly realistic in the sense of they have struggle in their relationship, but they last through that struggle, um, which is fun for teenagers who are still forming those relationships that'll last a long time hopefully as they get older
0: all right well Kristen, you reviewed all three of the to all the boys i've loved before movies we must have been wanting to torture you by giving them no
2: (laughs) i enjoyed them
0: (laughs) um two-part question yeah as you listen to marcella talk about Mm -hmm. this new television series based on Jenny Han stuff. Yeah. Does it sound similar to what you saw with to all the boys I Loved before, or what are the kind of comparative points here?
1: It actually sounds more like the kissing booth. Okay. Um, in that, well, the kissing booth is what a trilogy I believe at this point. Um, and there was like a lasting friendship and so families got together so with to all the boys i loved before it's really this one young girl who is far more reserved she's not sexually experienced and she a few letters get mailed out by her her younger sister to all these boys that she's liked and now she has to deal with the aftermath of that and then it just kind of goes from there to who she falls in love with during high school and things like that and so as far as content is concerned in to all the boys I loved before. The first one feels, other than like a few scenes, the first one was really light. Okay. It felt really light. Um, and then it, like the second one also felt light minus a couple of scenes. Same with the third. Like there, I feel like there are more redeeming qualities and aspects in this series um, because of the main character, Lara Jean. She's very lovable, innocent, really likable.
0: Okay, So... Some good things and some things for parents to be aware of. I think with something like this, it's easy or perhaps natural to immediately dive in on the content issues. You know, what's going on with sexuality or language or that sort of thing. But I think we need to take a step back and really talk about the worldview as well. Because I wonder if in the long run, if you get really into a show like this or the series of movies or the series of books or all of the above, right? Because when you become a super fan, you're probably reading and watching the show. Right. What do you think the messages these movies, shows, and books are sending about what's most important in life uh, and what people should value and especially what young people should value?
1: Well, I think for, to all the boys I love before, there's definitely, like, if we're going to start off with, like, concerning content, um, premarital sex. So with Laura Jean it's she's very forward in the first one that this is not something like she's not waiting into it and not until the third one until she it's like after prom does that happen okay. and that seems to be a really popular thing in lots of movies there's something about prom night that like you lose your virginity and then you move on to college and now you're I don't know more experienced or something um so that's one okay. but throughout the throughout the films it's I think not only, that doesn't really strike me as like the main point. It's something that she's battling, which I think I kind of appreciated, especially in the first one. She's, like I said, she's innocent and she doesn't care. Like her best friend's really promiscuous. She doesn't really want to be like that. She wants to be herself. She's okay with being who she is. And so another worldview that creeps in, it's kind of that like parents are okay with this. Okay. Like parents kind of give the green flag to, hey, if you're going to have sex, just make sure you use a condom or make sure you're on birth control or like- Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of conversation about the fact that this is, number one, meant for covenant. And number two, um, that there's emotional and physical repercussions for what you're choosing to do. Parents kind of just
0: like wave it off. So that's an issue. Does that sound similar to what we see in the summer series?
2: I'd say it is similar. I mean, even just looking at the title, you can know that it's very looks-based. Yeah. Um, A lot of the romantic relationships that happen, and you definitely get the sense that your value and your identity are very attached to your outward appearance um, and how you interact with other teens your age. And there is definitely a similar sense of the parents are empowering um, behavior that is not great. And you see Belly originally says that she doesn't drink, at the beginning of the series and that kind of goes down the drain towards the end um, which is interesting she has a similar kind of innocent character I'd say to Lara Jean at the beginning and that kind of um, fades away later on
1: one thing that you said that I really actually again appreciated about the to all the boys I love before series is that Lara Jean is very beautiful but she isn't picked out at school as one of the most popular pretty girls and so when you know she falls in love it kind of is this like weird thing like she fell in love with like the popular guy right and so you get to see her personality like even when other people might value their physical appearance she does but she really cares more about who she is and what she believes and her interests so I think and, and it's kind of like a, a whole thing within her family like you see her dad foster that really well they do family really well and so that's a really I think redeeming quality.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot that we could potentially say, this is really good or redemptive or positive, and it's mingled together with some pretty significant worldview and behavior concerns. I mean, just listening to both of you, if you had, say, a 12, 13, 14-year-old daughter whose friends are all into these stories, and she wants to read or watch them too... Do you think the issues here are navigable for parents who are intentionally engaged in reading and watching with their daughters? Uh, And obviously our our intent here is not to tell people what to do. Sure, sure. But how would you respond if, you know, you had a daughter or you had a friend who had a daughter who was interested in, in these books and movies and TV shows?
1: I think for me, I I think the best thing to do, like you were saying, is it's not to tell you what to do, but to give you like the facts, like so that you can make that decision, which I appreciate that we do that. And so I think, I think back to when I was a teenager and I read the Twilight series. Well, the Twilight series is the love triangle. And as the books progress, it gets really steamy, like the series. And I read that when I was, I think, a freshman.
0: In high school. In
1: high school. Yeah. So I think in each person has a different experience in high school. Like I started out at a school where I, I was popular. I liked guys. I don't know. Like, so like, I think each girl is different as they grow. And so I think that's something to be cognizant of too. Like I knew what we believed at home. And so when I went to school and I had other friends that whose parents didn't Value that, or that's not what they believed. I still knew like parties are a no for me, premarital sex is a no for me. Like, we just had a lot of open conversations about like boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I think even if your daughter's interested in this, or her friends are interested in these books or series, there's a lot of appeal. Who doesn't want to be popular, who doesn't want to have a guy like them, who doesn't want to find themselves? That's a huge thing in high school. Everything feels really, um,
0: It's all high stakes, right?
1: It's all high stakes. And like, you're only living in the moment, right? Right. Like, that's one of the things you miss about youth. Like, nothing exists. No, right.
0: But (laughs) But to your point,
1: there are. Yes. And so that's important to talk about.
0: Do you feel like these stories deal with consequences at all? or, Or are they pretty romanticized in the outcomes of people's choices?
1: I don't I can't speak to the series that you watch, but I think to all the boys I love before it does have some consequences that they do show. Um, But I know most teen centered or teen centric shows like that are really void of consequence.
2: There's a fair amount of uh, actions that would have stronger consequences in real life, I'd say. I think it is important to note that the show for The Summer I Turned Pretty is a little bit more concerning than the books were. Okay. Uh, They introduce um, the main character, Jeremiah, as a bisexual character in the show, which is not a part of the book. Hmm. And they also include just a fair amount overall of sexual content that is not there in the books. Um, So I do think that's something parents should be aware of. I could say it's potentially navigable, but there is more concerns for the show than the
0: book. That's really good to know because I think... Sometimes when Hollywood gets a hold of something, they feel like they have to you know like spice it up,
1: well, yeah, I think that's difficult for parents too, because you always hope that the book is like the cleaner version, if you will, and and often it is, but that's not always the case, right? Sometimes there are scenes that movies they might not draw out as long as the book itself, right
0: well, and that leads me to my last question. How do you think the influence of books is different than the influence of a visual medium like television or movie. Like if you had to compare how they influence potentially a young person and Kristen, you brought up, you know, the twilight books were steamy and the movies had their steamy points too. But, um, maybe you can speak to how do those work differently on, on someone who's engaging with those two different mediums?
1: I think this depends on the child. Really. I really loved to read. And so for me, often books were more vivid because my imagination got to, um, be the final say and so I would watch movies and I still do this and critique like it's not <laughs> like that in the book um, so don't take me to a movie if you really enjoy it but um <laughs> I think again like my husband, for example, like he's really visual, and so, like you have to know your child if they're more visually based, and I would argue that this generation probably is more visual, yeah, to pay attention to that, um, but it doesn't give a green light to every book either because especially if your kid gets into it, there could be a handful of issues to deal with.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think the impact is different for each person. I do think typically TV shows are interesting because you see the pop culture influence. People start dressing that way and talking that way. Yeah. Um, it's easy when you're seeing it to emulate that behavior. I do think books can have a big impact on imagination and people's thinking. Um, It can be more of a subconscious starting to think a certain way when you're reading something a lot. So That's I think they point. have different areas that they're influencing, but both do have impact.
0: Well, I think especially if you're dealing with a book that has an explicit scene in it, there's a difference between watching it and, as you said, Kristen, sort of creating that image yourself in your head, which it's more active in some ways, but that might make it even more problematic. And I love what you said, that there probably isn't a right answer here, but just paying attention to your kids, paying attention to what influences them. I think it might be easy to think the visual influence is more problematic, but that may not be true with your kids. And especially with the books today, um, You know, we're used to trying to be vigilant when it comes to movies and TV, mm-hmm. but man, we need to exercise the same kind of vigilance with the books that our kids are reading too.
1: Yeah, especially if like, as, you're, as we're watching culture shift in certain directions, you can obviously expect that in novels as well. Yeah, And so I think that's kind of where parents would need to just pay attention as you're saying, because I think before there might be this belief that we don't have to worry as much about a novel, but yeah. I wouldn't say that that's the case anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I hope as we have discussed Jenny Han's uh, books and the TV show and movies that have come from them today, It's helped you to know a little bit more about it if you have a daughter who is interested or has friends who are interested. And just a reminder that we have to think critically about these things as they come at us. There are some good things here. There are some problematic things here. And it may be that it's an opportunity for you and your family to to dive in together and really think critically about it. And it may be that you say, you know what? We actually don't want to let that story in. Uh, That's not the influence that we want to give it. Uh, and you go a different direction. So, mm-hmm. you know, each week at the Plugged In show, and also at PluggedIn.com, dot com, what we hope to do is to give you the resources you need to make the best decision for your family on any given book, movie, video game, all of the things that that we review. And we hope that our conversations also spur you to think more deeply about how our faith. Intersects with the choices we make with regard to entertainment and technology. So, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Well, we're gonna spend some more time talking about another book that is incredibly hot right now. It came out in 2018, and it's called "Where the Crawdads Sing" by Delia Owens. And even though it came out a couple years ago, it's the best-selling book this year. And no surprise, again. Hollywood is all over it. You know So it. Uh, we're going to start with the movie and, and we're bringing in Bob Hoos to talk about that. Uh, but we're going to talk about the book too, because Marcella just read the book and reviewed it for Plugged In as well. And, and if you didn't know, we review books at Plugged In. Oh, so yeah. uh, <laughs> movies are kind of our bread and butter, but we're really trying to keep our finger on the pulse of of the books that people are interested in these days as well. So Bob, you saw the movie. right? Tell us about the plot and maybe the biggest concerns parents might have with a thriller that I think is aiming a little bit older age-wise than the conversation we just had. But
4: it's still dealing with some of the same pluses and minuses that you guys were just talking about. Uh, It's essentially a story of a young woman by the name of Kaya Clark. And uh, she, we, we actually see different aspects of her life as they do flashbacks back and forth. But the general thrust of it is that when we meet Kaya Clark, she's a young woman and she's accused of murder. And uh, because someone is found in the swamp and he's dead. And they instantly point a finger at her because the townspeople. She doesn't live, actually, in town. She lives
0: outside in this marsh area. So are we in, like, Louisiana, Mississippi, somewhere uh, it's, uh, in, it's, in that neck it's of the woods? Off,
4: off a little town called Berkeley Cove, North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. And uh, and so we are flat... But it's, fla- it's swampy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she lives out there in that marsh, and so everybody called her the marsh girl. In huh. fact, she... Well, uh, let me start here. She is part of... Uh, she was part of a family when she was a little girl... Who was so that was sort of dominated by an abusive father, hmm. and and be, he was so abusive that bit by bit all the family members left except for little Kaya. Hmm. Uh, he beat up his wife, and she walked away, and Kaya is left, and then eventually dad leaves too, and so Kaya is all by herself in this marsh, f- trying to figure out how to survive, and this is about her story then, as she. She still has this longing to connect with people around her, but there are no people around her. As she's and, in
0: the swamp by herself.
4: Right. And the few people that she does connect with, she creates these or, or forms these relationships with that are very lasting. But in any case, the idea, it, the story is sort of part
0: court case because she's accused of murder. So it's got kind of a John Grisham-ish right. feel to it. maybe. And, and
4: we see all the clues and all the elements that go into the story as it's laid out to us in flashbacks. And it's part biography as we see her life over the course of her life. And then it's part romance too, because she falls in love. And the film is very interesting. In fact, it's a very appealing film, to Mm. be honest. Now, I I haven't read the book
0: like you guys have, but- um, Well, we're gonna have Marcella weigh in here in just a minute on how they compare and contrast. But
4: the book has a real appeal about it. Even though it has some issues, it's got some problems, too. I think part of the reason that it is as appealing as it is is because of some of the director's choices and the choices made by Daisy Edgar Jones, who plays Kaya. Okay. She, she makes this woman gracious and gentle, and you care about her. You really, you really are. In fact, she makes her so likable that it sort of helps mitigate some of the edgier parts of the Like when she kills
0: somebody, you roll
4: it. You well, know. <laughs> we don't see the murder, by the way. Uh, but there is a murder that's a part of it, and someone actually gets away with murder, but I won't give away too much. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, Spoiler warning. Th- that's right. The, the thing is that because of the way the film is created, there's a gentle grace about this film mm. that, that really draws you in. Uh, but those edgy parts are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some sensuality in there. There's some sexual moments. We don't see nudity, but we do see like bare shoulders and that sort of thing and some sexual interactions. And I, but I think the thing that is the the most problematic is the uh, misogynistic violence. Mm. I mean, w- women being hit in the face, mm. you know, and and there's this potential rape scene and some really... Disquieting moments in the film that you 've got to navigate if you 're going to watch this so as an overview I would say here's my assessment sometimes when i 'm reviewing a film, I step away from it and I, and I have this mental image a picture in my head that I can use to to help guide me in, in writing my review and when I walked away from this one, I thought of a rose hmm. because there is a a delicate petal fragrance to this film that really draws you in but at the same time there are some very sharp hmm. sharp um Thorny. thorns that you can't escape hmm.
2: fitting that you use a plant image too because yeah because nature imagery is a huge exactly. part of the that, story i mean
4: all raising herself in the marsh she has to learn about everything the ecosystem and, right. the, and the things that help you survive. What she can eat, what she can't That's right.
0: eat. Marcella, you saw the movie and you've read the book. How would you compare the two? Do they do a pretty good job? Do they get more explicit? Is it less problematic than the book? Talk about that.
2: Yeah, I would say the storyline is very similar. Even some of the dialogue is pulled out. Of course, they had to um, mix some things together to accelerate the storyline. And the um, bouncing between the two different storylines was a little made the timeline a little different for the movie than the book, as far as concerns, I would say that the movie is a little bit less difficult um to process than the book. Mm. There was some heavy parts to the book um, that, as we were talking about earlier with the imagination and mm. it's difficult to um, read the descriptions in the book. The movie was a little easier for me, um, watching it. And they try to kind of avoid some of the heavier parts while still getting the general tone Which
4: I'm sure across. the rape scene was probably one of those. Yes, it was Cause, one cause of they, them. Because they, they, they were fairly light-handed in that one to get us through that. It's, and it's a
0: PG-13 movie, correct? It is. It is. So, I mean, I think this is an interesting case where they wanted to take a popular book yeah. that had some really hard things in it, and they might have actually dialed down the content a little bit I think so. In the movie, which, yeah. again, I, it seems like you almost have to take it on a case-by-case basis right, here. Right, um, But especially if you see a movie that you love and you find out, oh, it's based on the book, I mean, my guess is you're going to have some people picking up the book because they like the movie. Right, and, and we've got a review, as you said, of yeah. that as well. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thanks for bringing us up to speed on Where the Crawdads Sing. Well, now we're back for another installment of Pop Culture Connection, and we have Kristen Smith and Marcella Evans and myself and our producer Ashley with questions that she's going to ask us, and our job is to come up with as many awesome answers as fast as we can, and actually speed is probably more important than awesomeness, but we're going to just answer your questions and... I think it's always entertaining regardless of what happens.
1: Yes, it's always fun. This always feels fun. more pressured because Jonathan's not here. Like, I expect him to win, <laughs> and so I can lose. Mm. And now what do we do? Well, Adam's going to
0: win. Just know that last week I failed badly, and so I feel like I'm under pressure to redeem okay. myself. Maybe it'll be Marcella. Yeah. Well, we'll there we we go. <laughs> All right.
3: All right. Well, let's have Marcella go first this time. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> We'll oh pick no! A good no, one for no. You. Oh yes! Oh, you can yay. Get it over with.
2: Love that.
3: <laughs> All right, this is a good one. What do you think is the best Pixar movies for families, and why? That's a difficult question. Um,
2: I just recently watched Inside Out with my friends again. Oh. I love that one a lot. Oh, wow. uh, the Toy Story movies can be fun. I think. Oh, no. I'm blanking on what the difference between Disney and Pixar. Um, Cars is a really good one. My family has loved that one.
3: Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo is excellent as well. That's not my answer, but it is a good answer. Uh, Uh, Well, we got a great list of them. What makes them so good for um, families? I think those
2: ones are particularly appealing because there's characters that um, kind of can relate to parents and characters that can relate to kids and they deal with some emotional things that kids genuinely experience in real life. Awesome.
3: So, all right. Well, four points for that one. Woo! Mm-hmm. You know, not bad. All right, Kristen. Uh, all right. you go next. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> I know. I
1: should be cheerier about this. It's a game after all. My goodness, Kristen. Well,
0: you should have been here last week with <laughs> Bob Hoos because he was not cheery at all. So <laughs>
3: He's not happy. Great. We
0: love Bob, though. We're, we're glad that...
3: That's that he why he participates. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> all right. This is one that we've asked a couple of different times, but oh. different people, not you. Okay. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, which franchise uh, is better and why? This is
1: absolutely impossible. Okay, I'm going to have to say Lord of the Rings just for the sake of the classic. It's far more descriptive. I feel like you get lost in the world maybe more than Harry Potter. I don't know. That's difficult because I want to be part of all the houses. But anyway... Um Goodness, I think the poetry in the novels is, like, outstanding. Um, I think, oh, see, I'm terrible at this. I think the battle itself is far more epic. Awesome. Very cool. Five points. Uh, there you go. That, that was good. So This is so stressful. There's so much to say, and I can't say it. This is why just, I write.
3: Speaking
0: <laughs> of battles in Harry Potter and, and Lord of the Rings, you guys just need to know that my family really doesn't let me watch Harry Potter with them because I just sit there <laughs> and say, You're the critic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Adam. Have you seen Thank the TikToks? I haven't.
2: That's a whole TikTok thing. Oh, really? Little do you know, you're talking about a trend oh, right now. Wow. See? Wow, yeah. Adam,
1: you're so popular. <laughs> I
0: know. Here, I thought I was just being a dorky dad, but <laughs> I'm totally with it.
3: Nice. What do you got for me, Ashley? All right. This is very good pertaining to our conversation today. Okay. You open your front door to the world of your favorite book. Where are you and what do you aim to do there? Oh
0: my goodness. Question. I mean, it's gotta be Moss Isley in Star Wars, right? Because there's so many things to explore. There's so many spaceships. We've got aliens of different kinds. We've got droids. We've got sand. We've got joy, we've got fun, we've got seasons in the sun. And there's a lot of sun because there are actually two suns that sunset over Tatooine every single day. And if you're lucky, maybe the Millennium Falcon's there. You can see Chewie, you can see Han.
1: No, this is
3: so
2: unfair.
0: <laughs> that was like the best answer I've ever had. It
2: was it's really good. good. You did really
3: it's good. <laughs> and there is a book version of Star Wars. Yes. There yes. Is. So that that does there make is. sense. All right. I, I got nine something. points for Ooh. you. Yeah. Way to go, Adam. I'm on my
0: game today. That was a good nice. question. You know, way to makes go, up for last week. Yes. So, all right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our latest installment of Pop Culture Connection. You know, when you When you look at everything that is problematic in the entertainment industry for a living, it's important to just sit back every now and then and recognize that we can have some fun too. So hopefully you can have fun as we have fun. And we want to say thanks for spending your time with the Plugged In Show today. We know that you have so many things you could choose to do, but our desire is to give you information each week that helps you and your family to navigate pop culture. And if you've enjoyed what we've talked about today, if you have read any of the Jenny Han books or seen the shows or the movies that we're talking about, we would love to hear from you and and see what you think. How did you navigate it? What did you feel was problematic? What did you feel like worked well? And the way that you can get in touch with us is shooting us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com or... Just find us on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends about it. Let people know that we're out here. That's the best way for us to grow as a podcast. And we would love to have you really helping us with that process. And you can also leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you use. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us today. We appreciate you. We love having the opportunity to talk about popular culture and technology each week. And we hope you'll be back next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show.
4: Good parents aren't perfect, and that's okay. But there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the family's seven traits of effective parenting assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas they could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature and responsible children, and this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at focusonthefamily.com/7traits. That's focusonthefamily.com/7traits.